explore, to venture out, to leave behind the ordinary and find something new. New places, new paths, new challenges. We look for adventure and for a tomorrow that asks more of us than today did. We want to hear the wind in the trees. We want to look out across the expanses. We want to take in the beauty around us and find the thrill the average person never does. So we set out to find a better way in our relationships, in our pursuits, and in our faith. Life Trails, take the next step. So it was back in 2008 where this became the apparel of choice for anybody who was a Detroit Lions fan because that was the year that they went 0-16 and set a new record for the NFL. We're excited this year because we have another opportunity to set a new record because the NFL has added an additional game and so far we're on pace to go 0-17. But you know, sometimes it's not just a fan apparel of choice or a fan fig leaf that we're talking about here. Sometimes we wear around bags like this because of the shame that we're dealing with in our own lives. And maybe it's something that you've done and you feel that regret, or maybe it's something that's been done to you, or maybe it's something that you've been a party of, whether you meant to be or not, and, and maybe you had no control over it still, it was part of your story. Or maybe it's something that, that somebody said to you or somebody said it about you, and you just hide in your shame and, and you put a figurative bag over your head so that nobody can see you. And we can see what's really going on inside of you. And that is not God's way. That is not God's plan. In fact, God's invitation to us is to take the bag off. And that's what we want to do this morning. We want to take the bag off of this bag of shame that some of us have become way, way, way too used to wearing. We all feel shame, don't we? And it is a feeling. Something happens to us or we do something and it's like, oh, and we just feel it right here. And it's that feeling, but it's also those thoughts and, and it's those voices that we hear in our heads sometimes. And that, that we, sometimes people say to us and sometimes that we say to ourselves like, you know, you're just not good enough. Or what kind of person would do something like that? Or quit complaining, you. You know that you deserved it, so just live with what you got coming here. Or, you know, if people really knew the truth about you, they wouldn't like you, would they? You're such a fraud, or you're ugly, or you're unlovable, and you don't really matter. And, and how could God love you, considering what, what you've done? And so on, and so on, and so on. And this list goes on, and we feel the emotions of shame, and we, we live with the thoughts of shame, and they mess with us in serious, serious ways. And I don't know, we've been talking about shame for a week now, and, and I've been thinking about shame though for two weeks because I always get a week's head start on you. And I've been even amazed at some of the shame that I see in my own story. And when I can go back even to when I was young, and I can remember some of the shame that I felt. I remember when I was five years old going to school and rode the school bus. And the school bus actually stopped at different schools because of how they were divided. So kindergarten went one place and upper elementary and whatever. And I remember I forgot to get off the bus at my stop, at my school. 
And I'm just sitting back there on the bus as a five-year-old, and, and the driver kept going to all these different schools, and wasn't really aware of the fact that I was sitting back there. I was just five, you know, like, like the seats in front of me. And she got back to the bus lot, and I was still on the bus. And I remember how shameful that felt, how embarrassing that I actually forgot and wasn't paying attention to get off at the right stop. I, I can remember it was probably about the same time when I was five, six, something, um, a, friend in my, a friend of mine in the neighborhood and I got into a neighbor's garage. They had gone on vacation, evidently, and their garage was empty. And for whatever reason, we were in the garage, and there was a basket of apples there that had gone rotten. And so they picked them up. They were just gross and whatever else like that. And as a five-year-old and, and my friend, we took those apples, and we threw them at the wall of their garage until we had emptied out that basket. And those people came home to find that their garage had been vandalized by five-year-olds. But I never told anybody. I was too ashamed. In fact, you're the first person who's ever heard that story from me. I have carried it with me my entire life, and I've never told anybody. It was going to go to the grave with me, other than the fact that it made a really good illustration for this morning, right? But I remember that shame that I felt there. And they can go even into high school, and, and uh, we had Spirit Week, and one of the things for Spirit Week is we meet, had to make like mini floats, and they were going to be dragged around through the, uh, through the gym for the big basketball game that night, and I volunteered to make the float for our class, and when I got done, it was so pitiful, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I felt like I let our entire class down because of how bad it looked, and we really needed the points for that competition. And I just remember even the shame of that moment as well. I can remember shame when I went to college and I got this job working at a hardware store and two years into it, um, the boss came to me and said, hey, we really like how you, you do your work here. Anybody else where you go to college that could use a job? And I'm like, I don't know, I'll ask around. And I had this friend named Gary Johnson. That was his name. And uh, I said, hey, Gary, you need a job? And he's like, yeah, I do. And so he went to the same hardware store and worked for me. And they just, they liked me. They loved Gary. In fact, we were about four months in and they gave Gary a job that was like my supervisor. And I remember the shame of that. Like, I've been there two years, and, you know, Gary, you've been here four months, and, and we deal with this shame in our lives an awful lot. And shame, you know, well, I guess what's interesting about that list, though, is I just mentioned four things, and, and three of them were things that happened to me. Only one of them, the, the little apple episode, was something that I actually did. But shame is something that just deals with us and eats at us, and it's just a bad place to be. And that's what we're talking this month in our Life Trail series about how do we take the trail out of shame. And I want to talk a little bit about that more this morning. Specifically, how do you take the trail out of shame when the shame that you're dealing with, though, is like those apples that I threw against the wall? Something that I did that I, that I deeply regretted, that I felt so ashamed of, and maybe in your story, and maybe in your life, you can look back, and, and maybe it's a long time ago, and maybe it's recent, and it's like, oh, I did something that was just horrible, or that, I, that I'm so embarrassed about, that I feel so bad about, and it's still with you. And even as I stand here and talk to you this morning, that comes to mind, and I want to talk about how do we walk away from that? And we started this uh, series last week talking about no shame, and we left this up. It was an illustration from, from last week about how shame leaves us feeling naked. We went back to the, uh, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and, and we want to cover ourselves up with, with fig leaves or with paper bags over our heads. And the only way we'll ever cover our shame is through Jesus Christ. 
And he's the one who through his blood and through his sacrifice on the cross, he covers our shame. And that was the idea of the skins in, in, the, uh, in the story that we looked at. But there's more to this story too as we talk about shame. And so I want to encourage us to go to Luke chapter 15 and look at a story that we've actually already sang about this morning. And uh, the song this morning, I appreciate Chris putting those together because they fit so well with what we're talking about here. But if we go walking around with shame, that's not God's plan. God doesn't give us shame. God confronts us. God points out our guilt sometimes, but he doesn't give us shame. And when we're dealing with that, it's not coming from God. And we can deal with it positively too because he wants to help us with that. So this is a story that's familiar. It's the prodigal son. And until I looked at it this week, and I've probably read this dozens, if not hundreds of times, until I looked at this this week through the lens of shame, I think I missed some things that are really, really awesome in this story. And so I want to point them out this morning as it helps us deal with this issue of shame. Verse number 11, Jesus spoke to them in a parable. And he said this, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And he did what he should not have done. He did what he knew better than, and he did it anyhow, and he violated the will of the father, and he violated the generosity in the, in the heart of the father, and he committed these various acts of sin, and he found himself in the position of guilt. Well, here's what happens with guilt. Guilt leads to consequences. And so verse number 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he had spent everything, he had wasted it all. Now he's dealing with the consequences that he's hungry, and he has nothing. It's gone, and he has to figure out what to do with it. So this is what he does. In verse number 15, he went and he hired himself out. And notice that phrase, he hired himself out. He basically sold himself to somebody else so that he could eat. He sold himself to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields and he gave him this job. You're going to go feed pigs. Now, as a Jew, that would be a huge disgrace because, you know, pigs and pork, that was all taboo. And this man is saying, you're going to go hang out with the pigs here. And so he sells himself into slavery to somebody who would have been a Gentile, and he works with the pigs. And he's basically looking at himself, I think, and saying, you know what? This is what I am. I'm no better than a pig. But I had this coming, didn't I? Let's keep reading. Verse number 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said this, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And this is his plan to deal with his guilt. And this is a solid, solid plan. And then notice what he says next though in verse number 19. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. What is that? That is a statement of shame. 
That's not a statement of guilt. Guilt is I did wrong. Shame is I am unworthy. So make me like one of your hired servants. And he comes up with his plan to deal with his shame. He's just going to accept it. I've earned it. I'll just be a servant. I'll just be a slave. And that's going to be humiliating because I'm going to look at my brother who still has position and still has the favor, but I just have to eat. So I'll live with the shame. It's mine, right? It's just another consequence of guilt, right? Wrong. It's not. See, he's talking to himself here, but his father is not talking to him yet. And his father has some pretty incredible things to say. But that's what shame does. It's what we tell ourselves. And what do we tell ourselves? I am not worthy. I don't deserve any better than this. I really messed this up. I'm getting what I have coming. I'm dirty or I'm disgusting or I'm deserving of this pain. But fortunately, 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 this guy in this story, the son, does something really smart. He got up and he went, what is the next word? To his father. He got up and he went to his father. And that's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because when I'm dealing with shame, I want to get away from everybody. And especially if my shame involves another person, I want to get as far away from that person as I can. And this young man's shame involved the father. And you would think he would want to get as far away as he could. And yet somehow he knew that to fix the shame in the story, he had to go to the father. And so he goes to the father, and while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, what's the word? Filled with compassion. I, I have to think that, that he probably went back to his father, and, and he stood there, and he was like, okay, I'm just going to take it because I have this coming. And the father opens his mouth and he speaks words of compassion. In fact, he runs to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to the father what he had rehearsed. He said, I have sinned against father and against you. And then he says those shameful words, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And what does the father do? He didn't go there. He has nothing to say about what the son says there. He doesn't pile on. He doesn't say, you know, I'm so glad you're back, but man, you really did mess it up. That was really stupid. What were you thinking? Way to embarrass me. Way to embarrass the whole family. There's none of that whatsoever. What does the father say? He says to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead. And he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to celebrate. And boy, that word celebrate, that doesn't go very well with shame, does it? And yet, that's where this story ends, in celebration. Well, there's some really important concepts in this story that I think help us deal with this issue of shame. And I want to walk through them and quickly this morning, because we've, we've been here for a while but when you've done something wrong, this is a good process that I think that you can walk through and to remember these points. The first one is this. Guilt and shame are not the same thing, so they need to be addressed separately and differently. Guilt is about, and this is a review from last week, but guilt is about what I have done. 
Guilt is about the sin that I have committed, the wrong that I have done, maybe what I've done to somebody else or, 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 or just in general. It's about an act. Shame is about who I am. So guilt says, I did this wrong. Shame says, I am a bad person. They're connected. And the first one, guilt, often leads to shame, but they're not the same thing. And guilt is a tool that God uses because God has laws and God has rules and said, okay, if you violate these, you're going to be guilty and there are consequences for guilt. But I don't believe that shame is God's plan. I think it's a tool that the enemy uses because he takes that failure and he says, no, 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 and he just waves that around and sticks it in our faces. So let's deal with these things then because if we don't deal with guilt, though, we are going to struggle with shame. And so we have to deal with guilt before we can actually get to shame. And I think that's really important because if we don't, we're just going to end up in shame and we're going to end up feeling isolated where we cut ourselves off from other people because we don't want to be exposed, we don't want to be embarrassed, we don't want to be outed. Sometimes I think shame makes us feel inhibited. Like, I don't want to step out there because I might make a fool of myself. And I wonder how many times we, we step back because we, we look at something we've done in the past and we have told ourselves these messages of shame and it keeps us from moving forward or from being vulnerable. Sometimes I think it's, we feel threatened and become defensive or even go into an attack mode because we're afraid of being exposed. Or we just play it safe. Safe, not safe. Safe. We just play it safe. Because, you know, if I just sit back here and don't really do anything and, and don't say anything, and then, then I'm not going to mess up or I won't fail again or maybe I won't even be disappointed again. Because I, disappointment is so much a part of shame too, isn't it? even if it's disappointing in ourselves, and we deceive ourselves, and we end up defeated because we don't deal with it. So we need to deal with shame, but by first dealing with guilt. And I have no idea where we are here. There we go. And so here's how we deal with guilt. We acknowledge our sin. We confess it as sin. We repent of the sin, and we turn away from it, and we forsake it. And we see this in the story. I have sinned. And he says, okay, I'm done with it. I'm turning around and I'm going this direction. I'm going back to the Father. And that's what we need to do when we can trace the guilt or the shame in our lives back to guilt. And that guilt goes to something that we did wrong. We have to deal with it. And if we don't deal with it, we're never going to be able to fix the shame problem over here. We have to start with the guilt problem. But it's just that simple thing of acknowledging it, confessing it repenting, turning away, even forsaking it. And maybe it's going to involve some restitution, and maybe you have to go back to somebody that was involved in the process, and maybe it's somebody that you wronged, and you have to go back, and you have to right that wrong. And you need to find some, some absolution, some forgiveness and release. But we deal with the guilt, but once we have dealt with the guilt, it's done with. It's like when the judge says guilty and you're given the, the, the sentence and you serve the sentence, it's done with. But in God's economy, you don't even have to serve the sentence. That's what Jesus did. He takes that guilt and he takes it to the cross. And so we deal with it by through confession and through forsaking and through repentance, but then we move on. And then we move on to what? We move on to dealing with the shame. So guilt requires repentance, which involves confession, sometimes absolution. Dealing with shame requires returning to the Father. 
And the solution to shame is always going to be spiritual. We said this last week. The solution to shame is always going to be spiritual. Because shame is a condition of the soul. You know, there's a lot of good teaching that's going on right now, I think, in, in even like the, the world of psychology and, and counseling and those things that can help you with shame at some level. I don't think it can ultimately help you with shame, though, because it's a condition of the soul. Only God can fix it. But that doesn't mean we don't try, does it? And this is what happens in our lives so many times. And, and let me just share several ideas here of how we try to fix shame. We try to push it down. Okay, I'm just not going to think about it anymore. It makes me feel too bad when I think about what I did and, and whatever, and, and this, this feeling. So we just try to, to push it down. And maybe if we can just give it some time. I, I read uh, on a, a, a website this week of a, a counselor saying, shame, yeah, it's just hard. You just got to live with it because it'll go away eventually. Really? That doesn't seem like very good advice to me. I mean, sometimes we like pretend it doesn't happen and we just try to bury it. Here's another one I think is huge in our society right now is we change the rules. If I can change the rules, then I can change my guilt. And if I don't feel guilty, then I don't have to worry about feeling shamed. And, and we live in a society right now that's like, okay, you know what? What's the rules here? Well, I don't know. The rules are whatever. It doesn't make me feel ashamed. And so we change the rules to deal with our shame issues. We're trying to get rid of this stigma. It doesn't work. Sometimes we try to rebalance the scales. You know, if you've done something really bad and you feel guilty and shameful about it, what do you do? Well, I try to do something good. In fact, that's, that's kind of how a lot of religions work, right? Man, you've been bad and you probably feel ashamed, but you know what? You can just do all these things. You can go to church, you can give your offerings, you can all these, and you can just stack these things up, and eventually you can be standing over here and say, like, yeah, I did that, but this is who I am. Look at all these good things that I've done, and it doesn't do anything to fix our shame issues. Sometimes we try to prove ourselves to, to ourselves or sometimes to other people, and you've met people like that, that the, their life is just given to proving the fact that they are good enough. And so they're driven or they're, they're like these crazy achievers or, or they're almost, you know, they become uh, addicts even, even into their work and to their efforts. And it doesn't work. Some people try to deflect attention. Well, I'll just point out the failures of others. You know, well, I feel shame, but, you know, you're ugly. Or, you know, and we don't say those terms, but that's what we try to do. And we try to dis deflect. And sometimes we do it the opposite of that, though, is where we don't say anything publicly. We just look around and compare ourselves to people. Well, yeah, I feel bad about that, what I did over there. I told a lie, but hey, I've never murdered anybody. And that's how we try to deal with our shame. And we try all of these different things, and they do not work. Or sometimes we just consider shame one of the consequences of guilt. And what do we do? And this is how we live. And this is what happens in this story. The son puts the bag on, and he goes to the father and he gets to the father, and he's surprised to see the father coming towards him. And when he gets here with his bag on, what does the father do? Take that off. That doesn't belong here. And what I love about this story is the father says, in fact, you could take that bag off because I've got a better bag for you. 
And I'm sure the son stands there completely stunned as he looks at what the father offers him. But look at what the father does offer him in the story. He says, first of all, hey, I've got a robe for you. And you think about this as the son stands there. Where did he come from? He came from the pig pen. He was probably wearing the last set of clothes that he had. I'm sure everything else had been sold. And so he'd been living in this, feeding pigs, probably dirty, filthy, ragged, and he probably stunk. And he probably gets to the father. He's like, oh. And you can feel the shame. And the father says, hey, you know what? I've got a robe. I've got a robe. And what is this robe about? This robe is about the covering that we talked about last week. Hey, son, the past is covered. I've got you here. The shame of being rejected or, or, or of failing or, or being an addict or being forgotten or, or abandoned, it's covered. And he hands him this robe, and in this story, this robe had huge significance to say, you know what? I've got you covered. And when we come to the Father with our shame and with our bags on our head and feeling exposed, he says, you know what I've got? I've got a robe for you. But that wasn't all that he had for the son. He said, I've got something else for you. And he hands them his ring. And he says, put that on. And the son takes that ring and he puts it on. And what did that signify? It signified that he had worth. He had to wear a ring? Wait a minute. I don't deserve that. And the father says, oh, no, no, it's not about what you deserve. It's about the fact that you're my son. And it's about the fact that you have worth. And it's about the fact that you have dignity. And the father restores the dignity of his son. And the son looks in the bag, and there's another thing there, too. And he pulls that out, and what is it? It's a set of sandals. And what's the significance of that? Well, he was sta- probably standing there in bare feet. And you know why he was standing there in bare feet? Because that's what the servants, I was going to say wore, they didn't wear. That's what they didn't wear. If you didn't have shoes on, that meant you were a servant and probably meant that you were a slave because we're, you're really not worth investing in. Why would we spend money on your shoes? You just do what we need you to do. And the sandals represented freedom. Hey, 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 you're not a slave. You're, you're my son. And this is how God responds to your shame. With love and with grace, and with favor, and with the celebration in the killing of of the fatted calf, which would have been symbolic, even of the sacrifice of Christ. But there's no condemnation here, and there's no shame. Yes, there were consequences. The money was spent. It wasn't coming back. It had been wasted. But the shame was not part of the story. And I don't know where you are this morning. But here's the story of the prodigal son. Whatever you've done, God will trade that for a robe. He says, I've got you covered. And whatever you've done, God will trade that for a ring. To say, oh, you have worth and you have dignity. And whatever you've done, 
God will trade that for a sandal to say, you're not a slave. You are my son. And so when we go to the Father, it's not about what we've done. It's about who the Father says that we are. And here's the truth this morning. You are not what you have done. You are not what's been done to you. You are not what somebody else says about you. You are not what you say about yourself. You are who God says that you are, and you are his child. The bag says what? You're forgiven. The bag says what? Hey, you can come to me anytime you want. The bag says, I love you dearly and desperately. The bag says, you have worth. What a great trade. And this bag, this is what the Father says you can do with this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the robe that covers our sin and that covers our shame. Thank you for the ring that says that we have worth and value in your eyes, no matter what. And thank you for some sandals that say, we are your child. God, I just pray for the person who sits in this room where shame is, is a part of the story. I pray that you would release them from that. And give them the freedom that you want them to have. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're dealing with shame, first of all, know this, that God loved you enough to send his son Jesus to die on a cross for you to take your sin and to take your shame. And if you've never invited him into your life, you can do that. You can be part of his family. And that worth that you have can be restored. Simply a, a, a prayer or conversation that you have with God where you confess your sin, but you invite him into your life. You can do that where you sit this morning. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Maybe you're sitting there as a Christ follower, though, and shame's still an issue. First of all, is there a guilt that you need to deal with? That may be the first step, because if you don't deal with the guilt, you're never going to deal with the shame. But if you dealt with that guilt, maybe you just need to pause for a few minutes here this morning and pick one of those things, a robe, a ring, or some sandals, and say Yes. This is the truth I need to live in. Would you do that? Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the fact that we do not have to live in shame. Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you are the one who delivers us from that. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks especially to Laura and to Michael. And uh, they'll be out in the lobby. I'd love for you to meet them, to stop by the proxy stations. And um, maybe we can have uh, uh, some opportunities to even to share uh, the gospel and some ideas about that. Um, also want to mention next week we are going to be doing our day of thanks. Don't want you to miss that. We'll be joined by the people of New Springfield Church. And their praise team will be joining us as well. Um, lots of music. We'll be celebrating communion. It's just a great time to, to really focus on the favor of God. And isn't that what we've talked about this morning? The God who favors us. Let's come next week and we will celebrate that. Let's stand.
and be dismissed. God bless you.